My name's Nick. As, uh, as Brittany said, we are starting, we've just finished our eight-month series uh, in Matthew, and we are starting our series on God and sex. Um, this morning, we're talking about the origin story. I want to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Um, I want to thank you that, uh, that you are King and Lord of all of life. And that includes um, our minds, our bodies, our spirits. I want to pray that even as we gather in this room, there are so many stories, uh, so many hurts, so many difficulties, so much confusion. And Spirit of God, I ask you to come right now and uh, to just breathe your empowerment on me as a speaker. I ask you to rest on us. And I want to pray, my God, that where we are immediately offended or hurt, we would just ask for your grace to say and ask this question of you, what are you saying to me, Spirit of God? Uh, we, we, we don't do this as an academic exercise. We don't do this as an intellectual exercise. We, we are anticipating you shifting something in our spirits. Um, and so we submit to that work this morning. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, seeing as we, uh, we're starting our series on God and sex, I thought that I would tell you um, about one of my and Karen's first experiences. And, um, and we were young, and, uh, and we were at the beach, and there were waves, and there was sand, and Karen was incredibly, incredibly nervous. I was incredibly, incredibly excited. Um, and she was nervous to the point of actually being nauseous. Um, we were checking our equipment, um, trying to remember our training, and um, just worried about what the other people would be thinking. And that was our first experience doing scuba diving. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you guys were thinking. Um, but I, I, I thought about the idea of, of scuba diving. And, and when someone talks to you about scuba diving, they, they don't tell you how potentially dangerous this is. Uh, they don't tell you how scary it could be. They don't tell you that there are a myriad of things that can go wrong. When someone talks about scuba diving, they tell you what an amazing experience it is. And when you go scuba diving, you embrace the limitations that are placed on you that your trainer says are important. No one in that class, when we were doing scuba diving training, was putting their hands up and saying, sorry, I think this is limiting my freedom. Uh, I don't want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do it my way. Um, no one there is saying, hang on a second, let's, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just figure out how we want to do this. Um, there's a sense in which the, um, the limiting of our freedom is something that we gladly participate in because we know that it will increase our enjoyment because we're not going to have to worry about the dangers that are associated with something like that. But part of the problem um, within the context of the church, as we've discussed sexuality in the past, is we've, we've approached the idea of sexuality more from the, more from the, the idea of the dangers of it uh, rather than the beauty and truth of that. Um, and so hopefully over these next four weeks, my desire is that we would discover not only the truth that God has spoken with regards to 
um, his pattern for sexuality, but the beauty of it as well. So even though um, scuba diving is inherently dangerous, it's also an incredibly satisfying experience. But there are circumstances that make scuba diving more dangerous. One of them is dangerous predators. One of our classes that we took was shark etiquette. You know, how to respond when you are faced with a, with a shark. There's also a, a lack of orientation when people get lost. Literally, people get lost, they don't know where they are. And, and also the idea of strong currents. And these are the exact same things that we face in the context of our journey with sexuality. There, is, there are dangerous predators out there. In terms of our lives, we know that we have an enemy to our soul, but in the context of sexuality, an enemy in the way in which we utilize our bodies. We know that there is a sense of disorientation with regards to where are we. Most of the deaths in scuba occur not, uh, not necessarily because of shark attacks or octopus attacks, but they occur because people get lost and end up without air, going down instead of going up. They've just lost their orientation. And even in the context of sexuality, one of the things that I'm hoping we are able to understand is where we are and where God wants us to be. And then thirdly, the idea of strong currents. Uh, one of the most difficult and dangerous things when you are scuba diving is, is knowing which direction the current is taking you so that you know how to swim not only against that, but how to swim back to the buoy that gives you safety. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we are in a current that is only getting stronger. A lot of what I'm going to speak on today, I've gleaned from um, Bridgetown and John Marcoma. They've done an amazing um, sexuality series, and they've done it over five weeks, and they've done also Saturdays and Sundays, which is why we've said there's no way that we're going to be able to answer every single question you have. But what I encourage you to do is to write down or type out some of the questions that you have so that either at the breakout sessions or in two weeks' time where we're going to have a guest come and speak to us on the last week where we're going to have a panel to be able to ask and answer some of those questions. The current that is getting stronger in our society is that there have been five major shifts uh, over the last 50 years when it comes to sexuality. The first major shift is that we have removed sexuality from procreation. Uh, and the idea of having sex just for pleasure is one of the top ways in which we understand sexuality. We've also disconnected sexuality from marriage. We've disconnected sexuality from gender. We've even disconnected sexuality from the idea of love, emotion, connection, and sacrifice. Now, none of those things are new. Uh, the Bible speaks to every one of those things. Uh, the Bible has something to say with regards to all four of those disconnections. Uh, but in our lifetime, what we're experiencing is this disconnection, that sex is becoming disconnected from humans. That literally, we are living in a society where there are sex robots, where there is virtual sex, where we're beginning even to view our bodies as not part of us in order to participate in our so-called sexual freedom. Nowadays, we have porn in our pocket in the sense that anyone can access porn if they have a smartphone. And the problem is, is that it's easy for most of us to be exposed to that at ages that when I was young were unthinkable. Now, I think the average is between seven and eight years old, a young boy or girl is exposed to their, their first exposure to porn. When I was young, we had to go looking for it. 
We, we, we had a friend whose dad had a magazine, and we would go to his, and we, were, and we were 12, 13, 14, 7, 8 years old. That is a strong current for us to be in. But I, I don't know that sex is the main problem. I think that disconnection is the core problem that we have as human beings. If you look at the way in which we operate, communication has become less human. Um, I heard one of my daughters uh, overheard her say, no, I'm not going to call you. What am I, your dad? <laughs> so I'm like, so, so even a telephone call now is not cool. You know, now, now we just text each other, you know. Doctor's visits. Doctor's visits have become less human. Now you can call your doctor um, and you can say, this is what's going on. He's like, okay, this, that, the other thing. You don't even need to go see him. Dating has become less human. Now, I know that a lot of you have met on dating apps, and that's great, but there are num there's a big difference between one kind of dating app and another kind of dating app. There are dating apps that are just hookup apps, and there are dating apps that are designed to help you find um, a person to continue a relationship with. Research tells us uh, that uh, people my daughter's age, between the ages of 14 to 19, have lost the ability to connect and flirt. It used to be that if you wanted to seduce someone, you needed to at least know how to flirt with someone. You at least needed to know how to talk to someone. Now all you've got to do is swipe left or right. That's all you've got to do. If your thumb works, it's on, you know? <laughs> I'm not repeating that. <laughs> the other thing that is new in this context is that these shifts in the way in which we view sexuality are seen as progress, they're seen as liberation, they're seen as freedom from uh, religious oppression, and, and anyone that holds a biblical view on sexuality is in need of moral, psychological, or sociological repair. Most of the time, when I talk to people, the idea is, what is the big deal? It's just sex. Why don't you just relax a little bit? Well, the big deal is that a lot of hurt has been experienced within the context of sexuality. Even in this room, and part of the challenge that we're going to be going through over the next couple of uh, weeks is that even in this room, I know that there are people that are caught in addictive cycles when it comes to sexuality. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Even in this room, there are people uh, that have been abused and hurt by someone else sexually. They didn't choose that, they didn't want that, and they're dealing with all sorts of pain and shame and hurt. And you're not alone. Even here, there are people that have willingly participated in some form of sexual activity that has harmed their human and spiritual relationships. You're not alone. Maybe here we have people that themselves have hurt someone in the context of their sexual experience. You've sinned against someone else, you've sinned against your own body, and you fail more than you succeed in your own sexuality. You are not alone. Maybe you're lonely and bitter because you've kept yourself pure, because that's what you were told, and now you're alone, and you see people around you that are not living uh, in a way that is glorifying God, that seem 
to be happier. You're not alone. Maybe you feel the, the hurt and tension when you open the Bible and you read it and you feel like there are so many things that don't make sense. There are things in the Bible that, that seem judgmental and bigoted and unfair. You're, you're not alone in that. Maybe you have deep friendships with people um, that don't share a biblical view on sexuality and whose sexual choices are contrary to Scripture, and that's making you rethink what you thought you understood about God, about yourself, about sexuality. You're not alone. Maybe you are confused and struggling uh, with your own identity or sexual orientation or gender. You're not alone. Identity is such a huge thing when we talk about sexuality. It's a challenging and complicated conversation. Um, but Jackie Hill, um, Jackie Hill Perry, who wrote Gay Girl, Good God, has this quote. Um, and she says, our sexuality is not our soul. Marriage is not heaven and singleness is not hell. Um, and uh, it's an amazing book. I encourage you to read it. She, um, she, she has just such a way of being able to, to cut to the heart of the issues with regards to race, to sexuality, um, and to spirituality. Our sexuality is not who we are, but it is core to our humanity. And so that's why this conversation with regards to identity is important. Um, I remember speaking to a friend who, who struggles with same-sex attraction, and he says, I am not who I want to have sex with. Um, that is not part of who I am, and yet we have to ask the question, is your sexual orientation who you are, or is it simply how you are? And in two weeks' time, we're going to have a friend of ours, Paolo, who's going to come and talk about what it means to live as a Christian with same-sex attraction, and more importantly, what it looks like to love people that are struggling through that journey. Sexual sin, though, is different. Paul uh, who wrote the letter to the Corinthians. But the Bible itself says that, that it is no more or less forgivable sexual sin, but its consequences are different and deeper than most other sins. It's more widespread and it causes deep pain because as he says, not only do you sin against your own body, but you sin against the body that you're part of and you sin against God. Understanding our identity and purpose is, is also much more compelling when, when we orb that around the idea of story. And that is something that Jesus was so profoundly good at. And even as we've gone through uh, the book of Matthew, I'm sure most of you are sitting there thinking, man, he was not, not only was he so um, sensitive to what was happening around him with people that are hurt and in pain, but he knew exactly what people were asking him when they were asking one question and meant another. Because the power of story is what I want to talk on for the rest of the morning. You know, the power of story is everywhere, even where it shouldn't be. Um, so, for example, in public storage, there's this idea of like, we've got to tell a story around public storage. It's like, no one cares about public storage. You know, it's, okay, no, like, public storage saved my marriage because we were fighting and and now I found this place to put my stuff and, and everyone's trying to connect their product to story, even when they shouldn't. Right, Steph? On Facebook, Steph is like, why, why? Please, God, tell me I have to read a page and a half of some woman's story before she gets to the recipe that I googled. Why? Why do I have to do that? Right? 
Uh huh, uh huh, yes, yeah, it changed your life, right. Six cups, five cups, got it, right? <laughs> Story is important, but there's some places where it doesn't fit, right? Now, in terms of the Avengers, and I don't care, so you won't get any spoilers from me, okay? But every now and then I have to go on a dad date, and I don't have to, I love going on dad dates. <laughs> but I have to. End up watching Avengers. Guess which one of my children takes me to Avengers, right? And I'm lost. I don't know what is happening. I haven't seen the origin story. I don't know why this guy with a hammer has a brother that's dressed in what? No, this guy with a hammer has a brother in green and suddenly arrived. I don't know what's happening with any of that. I don't know why the universes are colliding. I don't know. I don't care, but I, I don't know. But there is an origin story to all of those things. A story is more captivating when it's beautiful and it's true. Now, some of these stories are beautiful. They're definitely not true, right? But our story, within the context of sexuality, that hopefully we'll be able to communicate is what does it mean to be a human being? Because most of the time we're trying to deal with our sexuality as something that is separate from us, as some kind of drive that we're trying to curtail or something that we are trying to give expression to, but it actually is part of what makes us human. Well, what makes us human biologically, psychologically, spiritually, socially? Answering that question um, is an indirect but powerful way of dealing with a lot of the questions we have around sexuality. And, 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 and story is the way that Jesus would deal with a lot of the questions that came at him. Uh, we've just come out of Matthew. So in, in Matthew, Jesus is, is questioned. And oftentimes what happens is you'll read. Jesus would tell a parable and then the Jews would want to kill him. And I'm like, was it that bad a story? Was it like a Marvel movie? Was it that bad that he wanted to kill him? You know? I know. <laughs> Wrong audience, right? Okay. No, the reason is, is that he was telling a story that was subverting the, the normal, cultural, and religious narrative of the time. Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one man's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. Now we've covered this in detail when we went through Matthew in the context of marriage and divorce. Now, I don't want to overlook the irony of Jesus, a 30-year-old single man, teaching people about the sanctity of marriage. Let's not overlook that because there is a power in that that we'll get to when we talk about singleness and sexuality. Now, who are the modern Pharisees? As Bible-believing Christians, we need to be careful. We are generally not being invited into a conversation. We are being tested. Most of the time questions are asked of me. It's not because people want to open and have a frank exchange. It's because, like the Pharisees, they want to test us because they think they understand what the story is. It used to be 20, 30 years ago that the Pharisaical culture was in the context of the church, highly judgmental and pointing fingers. But now it's 
so-called liberal progressive people that cannot think of anything other than their view of sexuality. Um, and if you share something different to that, uh, then you are oppressive, morally bankrupt, and in the past. What we see here is there's a specific question, but Jesus answers them by telling them a story of a creator, a male and a female, a story of marriage, family, reason, and purpose. So let's look at the world's narrative. What is the narrative that we are constantly uh, being fed as we walk through this earth? The elements of the story are the same, but they are um, experienced differently. Human beings. We look at human beings. What are human beings? They are just evolved apes. There is no thought or design. We are just happy accidents. Uh, there's no meaning. There is no purpose. We just are. Let's look at gender. Gender is not biological. It's just a social construct used to oppress women by the patriarchy. Male and female differences are just plumbing. What matters is how you feel. Let's look at sex. Sex is just play for grown-ups. It's like scratching an itch. It's fulfilling a desire. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you drink. Um, if you have a sexual desire, you fulfill it. Therefore, it doesn't matter who you're doing with as long as it's with a consenting adult. Uh, the idea of promiscuity says that my body isn't worth much, but thankfully neither is yours. So let's just scratch that itch. Love, love is a feeling of happiness. It's a feeling of happiness when I'm together with the person that I want to be with. More specifically, it's a feeling of love when I am sexually or erotically together with the person that I want to be with. Or it's the desire to be with that specific person that will give me a sense of happiness. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether that person is the same sex or not. And happiness and marriage and love and sex have nothing to do with children. Therefore, who you do it with doesn't matter. Marriage is a social construct. It was used to oppress women and establish tribal and business benefits. Um, and we know that that was partially true. Uh, we know that there were kings that would marry off their, um, the, their daughters as princesses to other competing kingdoms in order for them not to fight against each other. There is no purpose to marriage. Um, because we've taken procreation out of the idea of sexuality. The purpose of marriage is to be happy. That's why it doesn't matter if it ends or it doesn't matter who you are married to. It's about being happy. Divorce is the dissolution of a social contract. It is when you are no longer happy, uh, you end that contract and it's enlightened. It's enlightened to come to a place of recognizing that we are now different people. And um, it's also enlightened to help children understand that when things don't work for you, um, you just move on. The Bible is a collection of man-made myths and stories that is racist, sexist, and against human pleasure. External authority is oppressive and abusive. And you need to free yourself from any kind of external authority or you won't be happy. The meaning of life? Well, there is none. We eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Now, these are not ideas that just come through liberal universities or podcasts. These are ideas that are infused in our diets of Netflix, movies, and books. These are ideas that come to us through the conversations that we are having with people. These are ideas and elements of these ideas are seeping into the church. 
uh, elements of these ideas are being preached from pulpits in so-called Christian podcasts. The idea of you be you is something that is paramount in this understanding of the human story. The problem is the so-called liberation has brought us despair. Even the freedom has, uh, that, that people are experiencing doesn't lead to a life of flourishing. There's this fundamental despair that rests in our rich Western culture where we are the highest consumers of antidepressants around the world and yet the most sexually free people. Um, Jamie Mortara, has, uh, he's a, a poet. He is a self-described queer. We would think of him as, as a man. But um, he wrote this book. Uh, it's a collection of poems. Anyone can paint their nails because gender is imaginary. Everything is meaningless. Love is a myth. Sex is gross. We all die alone. And our stupid bodies will soon return to the dust from where they come. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a title like that, I'm thinking... This person is either incredibly hurt or very, very hardened and cynical. And this person is experiencing w complete freedom in the way in which we've just understood. Um, you know, he participates in sexual activity with men, with women. There isn't a sense of any kind of boundary that he's experiencing. And yet the ironic thing is soon he will return to the dust from whence he came. Uh, there's no meaning or purpose to living that kind of life. In order to function in this age of sexuality, uh, we need to accept the following, that my body, my body means nothing. My body is not me. It is, in the word of Melinda Selms, a juicy robot that is controlled by the real you. The real you is this ethereal, disembodied, spiritual controller that controls your body. But you, but, but you are nothing. There is no human value or dignity to your body. And even if there is human value to you, it is in some ethereal way as you control the levers of your juicy robot. Ironically, it's only Christianity that declares that man is a unified and complete whole being, mind, body, and soul. And he has dignity, meaning, and purpose. What is the, the true story? The true story is that human beings have been fashioned in the image of God. And we are more like God than we are like apes. We have a spirit that is able to cry out, when we have encountered the grace of God, Abba Father, we have an ability to connect with the creator of the universe that animals do not have. We are creation, not coincidence. But we are bent. We are marred. We are broken. Uh, there is a curve to human nature that, that makes us focus on ourselves rather than on God and other people. It is this inward curve that we call sin. But we also image God in His kindness, in His sacrifice, in His love, in His generosity, and in His creativity. As I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again, we have innate value, dignity, and worth. We are not worthless, but we are not worthy to approach Him because of our marred nature, because of our sin. What about gender? God designed our body 
and he made me as a male or a female. Now I know that there is a struggle and a tension with coming to understand that, but our biology is not an accident. Our gender has been designed by God and we are equal in value and different in design, and design affects our function. There are different roles and responsibilities, but gender is non-imaginary. How we work that out um, is there is a freer space for how we work that out, but there has to be a recognition that, that we are different. I am so grateful that my wife is different to me, not just in her biology, but in her nature, in the things that she is good at, in the things that I am good at. And I know that there's a lot of generalization when it comes to those things, but there is a reason that male and female image gone together. Because there are aspects of humanity that are tied up within a general speaking male idea and female idea that can only be imaged when you put the two of those together. That's why marriage is such a powerful picture of what it means to image God. What about sex? When two people make love, something happens at a soul level that connects them spiritually. Now just think about the term make love and think about the colloquial four-letter word that is used. Just think about that. You are actually producing something. And that, 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 that's why I love that phrase. You, you are becoming one flesh. You are becoming one in spirit. There is a, a beauty and a transcendence to sexuality that actually we have been robbed of by, that, by the idea of just experience the freedom of that. And sex was designed so that two people would become one flesh, two souls would become one. It's a beautiful, powerful, and pleasurable experience. Our research in terms of attachment theory has shown us that the, the idea of promiscuity has brought way more pain than we can ever imagine. And Ron, Ron Heiser says that for the sensitive, it becomes, there's, there's this huge amount of heartache that is connected with sleeping with a whole lot of different people, but to the insensitive, it breeds hard-heartedness. Think about this. That if, that if you have a sensitive spirit and you, you have given yourself in that way of engaging sexually, you become more hurt. If you have a harder sense, you just become even more hard. And concrete becomes carbonite. What about love? Love is a decision of the will. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings. It's a decision of the will to delight in the good of someone else for the rest of their lives, even if it costs me. And that doesn't sound like happiness. That doesn't sound like something I'm able to do in and of myself. That doesn't sound like something I even want to do even of myself. But thanks be to God that His Spirit within me empowers me to not only understand that kind of selfless love that I receive through Jesus Christ, but He calls me to live out that kind of selfless love. And though I fail, which I often do, and you can ask her more about that than me, it is why we are together. Marriage is a sacred covenant before God, witnessed by your friends and family, that says my purpose is to will the good and pleasure of this person for the rest of their lives. It isn't a contract, it's a covenant. It's designed for friendship. It's designed for partnership. It's designed to take 
uh, chaos and bring order out of that. It's, it's designed to spread Eden um, across the world. It's designed for us to show the beauty of Jesus' relationship with the church. It's designed for child-rearing. It's designed to purify your faith. And those of you that are married will know that nothing challenges your selfishness the way being connected to another human being and wanting their good does. Now, if you're single here, does that mean that those things are not available for you? Does that mean that friendship is not available for you? Partnership is not available for you? The, the idea of being able to, to have your faith purified? No, that's the joy of being in the context of a Christian community. Now, I'll be the first to say we, not necessarily Southlands, we as the church have not done a great job in this. That's why the struggle of people that are single and are same-sex attracted is magnified by their loneliness in the context of community. But this is to say that, that part of the reason that God wants us to be part of local church expressions is so that if we are single or if we are widowed or if we are divorced or if we have been abandoned or whatever the case is, we are able to find these things. Uh, in a way that can bring some level of satisfaction. Marriage is created in order to enjoy sexuality within the covenant protection of marriage. Uh, I, I love this phrase. John Mark said that it is the only relational container powerful enough to deal with our sexuality is marriage. It's kind of like the, the nuclear reactor that, that protects that city from the power that is happening in there. Divorce is the rupture of soul ties, the death of a marriage, the intentional amputation of part of your body if you believe that you are one. Now I know um, that there are a lot of reasons and specific reasons why people get divorced and we covered that and I don't have time to go into that. Um, but we did, we did cover that when we de uh, dealt with divorce. Um, and I do want to be sensitive around that. But I also want to show what the picture is and what God's story is with regards to that. I, when, I, when I came to the States, I was surprised by this, is that we, we tend to throw things away and not fix them. And generally speaking, there are good reasons. It's easier. It's often cheaper. And I don't really understand how, but it often is. It takes less energy it's cheaper and it's easier to throw something away and buy a new one. Um, and, and unfortunately, some of that has seeped into the way in which we view marriage. But we don't fix things anymore. We're just like, this thing is broken, I need a new one. What about the Bible? The Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus and shows us how humans were designed to flourish. What is the meaning of life? Man's chief purpose and end is to glorify God and enjoy Him together to be with him what is our purpose to be with him well aren't we supposed to tell the world yes that is not our primary purpose our primary purpose is to be with him and to enjoy him that's why he created the garden that's why when sin entered the world that was broken our primary purpose is to be with him is that not a freeing thing and does that not motivate you to want to do more Jonathan Edwards says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and the only happiness with which our soul can be satisfied. To go to heaven, and we've spoken about this, so 
It isn't just about going to heaven. It is about experiencing heaven on earth through the kingdom. That's all of the last eight months. So go listen to all of that, right? To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the fountain. These are but drops. God is the ocean. I took my kids to the San Diego uh, Park, whatever. What is it called? The Safari Park. And I was horrified that they were having such a good time. They had never seen wild animals roam around and it was in that moment that I determined that I have to take these kids to Africa. And let me tell you the difference between being in a cart in the, in the San Diego Safari Park and, and being in the wilderness in the bush at 5.30 in the morning sipping on some rooibos tea and rusks while a giraffe goes loping by and my kids see a little baby buffalo being born, there is a shadow and there is a substance. And it was in that moment where I saw the sense of enjoyment in their eyes when they were at the San Diego Park, I was like, there is so much more. And it's in that moment where you're sitting in front of the computer and you're about to click on something and God is saying to you, there is so much more. It's in that moment where you want to give yourself away sexually and God is saying, there is so much more. This is a shadow. There is so much more in terms of the substance. We are all being sexually formed, whether we like it or not. Like spiritual formation, sexual formation is something that happens to us, whether we like it or not. We are spiritually, emotionally, and physically even shaped by what has happened in our past. But we are also shaped by what we, what we watch and listen to, what we pay attention to, what is subtly being sown in our hearts. And Southlands, can I say over these next couple of weeks, as, as Paul has said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why can we do that? Because we're so strong, because we're so tough, because we have such good... No, by the mercies of God. Because we have received what we don't deserve and we've received the grace of God to be able to empower us to do this, to live a holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, to not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that by testing and we discerning the will of God, we will know what is good and acceptable. Band, you can come up. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be sexually formed, what it means to be sexually deformed, and what it means to be sexually reformed. How do we find our way back home? looking at the pain and the wounding, the abuse, even our inability to attach and even our addictions. This is a, not a coincidence that we've chosen to do this, even the way in which these things are ordered. It's not that the fact that we're fasting gives us an opportunity to actually look inward, not in a negative way, but to look inward and say, God, what is it that you are bringing attention to in the area of sexuality. We're going to be continuing this conversation and helping people that have questions answer those questions. 
We're going to have Paolo come and speak to us, and we have many opportunities. But I just want to land and say this. How, how do we respond as a people? Well, the way that Jesus said in the book of Matthew as we were studying that, repent and believe the good news. After think, rethink the story of humanity and in, invite me into understanding that I am the one that can make sense of your story. God's mercy is greater than anything you've done or haven't done. God's healing power is able to bring restoration to anything that has been done to you. God's cleansing, God's mercy, God's grace is available to you through Jesus Christ. And this is the joy of it. It doesn't matter whether you've shaken your fist at God in rebellion or whether you're cowering and hiding in secret sin. It is He who pursues you. It is He who has come to you. It is He who cleanses you. It is He who reconciles you. It is He who fills you. It is He who empowers you. And it is He who unites you to Himself through Jesus Christ so that we can be with Him.